Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Adam, uh, I've gotten a couple of packages over the last couple of weeks, and I'm, uh, I'm feeling frisky. I think I might open them. Let's have a little mail time. Okay. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Starfleet emergency frequency. Captain size only. Were these For, mailed to your bar, as they <laughs> typically are? No, the, I, I will give out my address if you send an email to drunkshimoda at gmail.com and don't seem weird. Uh, <laughs> How do you screen for weird? Uh, I usually, like, make it more than one interaction before I show my hand. Um, and what I've been asking people is, like, what side of the country are you closest to? Because I don't want to, like, get somebody stuck shipping something uh, across the U.S., Right. Um, somebody was threatening to ship me something from Scotland, but uh, I don't want to be the only person that gets anything shipped to them. So I think threat's the right word in all cases. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the first one I've got here is from David W. And it's a it's a box. Um, What's in the box? <laughs> oh, cool. Okay, so there's a there's a little letter in here. Dear Ben, and by extension Adam, but since Ben's the one who responded, my son dragged me into a store looking for Pokemon cards after a Halloween parade, and I came across these two fine TNG figures. <laughs> well, I'd love to buy a priority one. All of my discretionary income goes towards diapers and child sports league entry fees. Uh, I hope that's not for the same kid. <laughs> uh, yeah. Basically, all I'm left with each month is enough to buy two faded in-box action figures of two old badass doctors. Ooh. I tried to get a discount by hipping the cashier to this awesome new TNG podcast called The Greatest Generation, but he just stared for an uncomfortable length of time. <laughs> That'll never work. <laughs> They are a small token of my gratitude for the awesome work you fine gentlemen are doing. Uh, thanks for making the drive home from work 40% less awful every week. Live long in Picasby, David W. Okay. 40%. I'll take it. <laughs> All right, so... Oh, man, this is great. Uh, I've got two Star Trek figures, and uh, one of them is for... Um, Lofi Bones from <laughs> the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's uh, Admiral Leonard H. McCoy with the incredibly poorly done old man makeup on him. The burlap sack of old age. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is for Dr. Catherine Pulaski, yes. chief medical officer. Doesn't that seem like they'd be great friends? I think so, yeah. They got, they got similar vibes in a lot of ways. Oh, and uh, Dr. Pulaski comes with a purple tricorder, a purple laptop, and some other... Purple hip flask? Yeah. Oh, man. This is fun stuff. Purple cocktail shaker? (laughs) Yeah. What does McCoy come with? Uh, Oh, let's see. Oh, McCoy's got a tricorder and a hypo spray and a 
medical like medical sure. bag portable medical Do you think he's kit. performing medicine at his age? I think that's a bad idea. Oh yeah, come on. His eyesight can't be any good. Thank you so much, David. He can't see through that burlap sack. <laughs> uh, I have one more package to open up here, and I have a hunch based on the shape of the envelope that it may be something similar to what we just opened. Uh, this one is from Laura. Laura C., and uh, this is just a manila envelope with a suggestive silhouette to it. <laughs> and indeed, it is another <laughs> action figure. Uh, let's see, here's the enclosed letter. Might not read all of this because it's pretty long. Uh, Dear Ben and Adam, please enjoy your Ram Yarlin. Whoa! I think it is fitting that Ben should have her as he steadfastly stuck to the Ram Yarlin <laughs> name. <laughs> sure did. I went to my local junk antique shop one day and saw this exact packaging with a Mordock doll, and I thought, oh my god, chaotic bro, but I didn't buy it that day. A few weeks later, I decided to go back and buy it for you guys, but it was gone. I seriously couldn't believe anyone would buy it. Not two days later... You guys opened a Chaotic Bro doll on your show. I was stunned. Fortunately, the store had this lovely uh, Ramyarlin doll, so I got that for you. I'm dying to know if that fan bought your Chaotic Bro doll from the store, meaning there's another huge nerd slash fan in Salem, Oregon. The coincidence of it is amazing. Anyway, enjoy Ramyarlin. Uh, with <laughs> with Romulan Pad <laughs> and Chaotic Broke. Keep doing what you're doing. I love the show so much. Signed, Laura. Your number two fan in Salem? Yes. Oh, Laura, that's awesome. Is it okay that I call action figures dolls? Yes. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good! I wonder if Laura came to our live show. We had some great viewers turn out for that one in Portland. Yeah, we sure and did. so... And so it doesn't surprise me that one of them might have bought up some action figures and sent them out. Man, I have a, a little collection going at this point. If my wife ever comes up to my office and sees what's going on up here, <laughs> I'm going to be in big trouble, Adam. You're gonna, she's going to catch you pulling a Francis in your giant bathtub. What would I do with that, O'Reilly? I can have any bike in the world. So it sounds like she does not go up to your private area. Is that right, Ben? Uh, she has less reason to come up here on a regular basis than I do. And um, and uh, it's a bit of a mess right now. So I try to discourage, discourage it anyway. So. Do you have your wharf plate displayed? My wharf plate is not displayed, but that is only because I haven't uh, I haven't ordered a commemorative plate mounting bracket yet. Yeah. And I've been meaning to do that. Yeah. Uh, when you when you get a beat on one of those, let me know. That doesn't have to make the show, but I'm in the market for two plate holders myself. Oh, I'm, I'm sure that there's many ways to get a hold of those things. <laughs> Go to thefranklinmint.com, probably. <laughs> Wow, good prizes for you. I have, uh, I'm, I'm three, I'm three dolls richer now than I was before we started the show. I'm feeling great. Bringing the total number of dolls to what? Four. 
because I've got the uh, I've got, you got the Loxana, uh, right? Loxana doll that somebody brought to one of our live shows. That may have been also a Portland show gift. Maybe no, maybe that was San Francisco. I can't remember. I love that at the time these dolls came out. These were probably the least popular ones, and these right. are the ones that we covet the most. Man, do you know if I wonder if there's a, a uh, an Argyle doll? I know that someone, uh, you know, sort of the way that that Bill Tilly hacks some of his dolls. Like, sure. I don't know if you followed along with any of that. Someone hacked a Argyle next gen action figure and sold it on eBay, and someone bought it for I think oh. a at great expense. I think it yeah. was one of our viewers too. That is uh, not quite a natural Jaeger, but a Jaeger nonetheless. It's a hacked Jaeger is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Kit bashing. Jaeger by hook or by crook. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll take no Jaeger bashing around here. No. Bless him. Uh, one thing I'm not going to come close to bashing is today's episode, Ben. One of my favorites of all time. Yeah, this is a good one. Season 5, episode 18, Cause and Effect. The entrepreneur explode. What a cold open. Like, my favorite... My favorite way that television and and movies begin stories is just by dropping you into it. Like, you just put into a situation. There's no ramp up or anything. And the opening shot of this episode is leaky nacelle. Mm-hmm. And shit is bad. The right, bridge is like- dark. It's got that Enterprise, that yesterday's Enterprise lighting going on, and people are in a panic. Yeah, the cameras are... Uh, all have cell phones set on top of them, so there's a lot of vibration being transmitted into the uh, into the footage, and uh, you know it's it's just a, a series of you know desperate attempts to get the ship calmed down. I feel like the core ejection system really fucking fails when when they need it the most, like almost every time. Why I, even have a core ejection system if it's not going to work? Yeah, I mean, there's like those Volvos where, you know, if if they're in a collision, they like shit the engine block out the bottom so that so that it doesn't uh, impale the driver or whatever. It's got like those crumple zones, right? Where's the Enterprise crumple zone? The Enterprise needs to be re-engineered with some crumple zones. It needs to be engineered like a Previa. Good, safe, practical car. Oh, well, yeah, that's the Cadillac and minivan. So they go around the horn, and everyone is triaging the situation. Everyone has a little bit to do. Data's playing piano as fast as possible. The starboard nacelle has sustained a direct impact. Riker's got his leg up. This is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. Like at a station, trying to workshop a solution. Geordi's in the background, uh, complaining about his inability to eject. Initiating emergency core shutdown. Ro Laren says she's losing attitude control, which is something that she could say every episode, I feel like. Like, <laughs> a sort of a personal admission versus a status report. We're losing attitude control. I feel like maybe in the script they had Riker turn and say, what else is new? And then they were like, eh, it's too jokey. Let's, like, not, not really on tone for what we're going for here, you know? And but, you uh, get 
I mean, I don't know that we've seen everyone at this level of panic all at once before. It is really bracing. And mm-hmm. do you think that that about... fire on the on the right side of the bridge that you see was a real fire that they set, or is that a comp? It is most definitely a comp. That is not a good look. Like of all of all the things they're doing here, uh, that's the weakest look. I think it's not easy. I mean, that's a, so they must be shaking that shot in post, right? Because mostly they're shaking. It looks a little bit Saturday Night Live fire. You know how they just sort of like set a frame of fire below the camera. <laughs> it's a little bit like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's not terrible. But uh, then, you know, we do then cut to the exterior of the ship explode, and it's great. It's like a Star Wars level ship explosion. It really is. Which is the and one thing that Star Wars really has on Trek is yeah. much better explosions consistently across the board. Right. Because they usually just comp an explosion over a model in Star Trek, and this time you actually get bits and fragments. It really looks like they loaded up a model with some fireworks and yeah. and did some damage. The nacelle like flies in one direction, the saucer flies in another. It's great. It's not like when they blew up the Yamato in what was that, the second season? Yeah. Like that that looked like pretty standard Star Trek explosion. And this looks like a really sophisticated movie style explosion. It's great. They spent so they they spared no expense on this explosion. The cold open is maybe a minute and a half. It's really fast. Yeah. And it made me think during like God damn it, like how scary is it to be a civilian on the ship at that moment? You go from nothing to dying so fast and you have no information to go on. Right. Like what is it like? What's it like to be just a, a normal dude? What's it like to be Khaki's guy? Five couples engaged in romantic encounters. It's got to be terrifying. Yeah, red shirt Khaki's guy's got to be. He's on the ship. Chess game is not going well. He's on the ship bowling alley, and his ball just like flies across four lanes. <laughs> All the pins <laughs> fall down. That doesn't count, guys. That <laughs> that is not. Call my it fault. a foul. <laughs> <laughs> so we come back from our title sequence and uh we're in a uh classic poker scene we've got um we've got Riker, Worf, Data and the Doctor and Riker is speculating that Data They kicked Jordy out of the game after his admission of cheating, right? <laughs> right. But like unlike that admission that which Worf seemed to like not really care about that much we come back and Riker is speculating that Data could very easily be doing some some shuffling tricks. And Worf is like super aggro about this premise. He has a way bigger problem with this than he ever did about Geordi's see-through glasses. It's weird, right? You never get an idea of what the, the true stakes are of this game either. Like if there's real scarves involved, then I could see being pretty upset. But yeah. they're just playing for chips. So I guess it's not worth getting super buttered about. Well, maybe somebody is the bank and they have like a like a cardboard box full of scarves under the table. And you like, if you need to like buy back in, yeah, you give them another scarf and they give you some chips. Beverly ends up bluffing the shit out of Riker. And she says something like, it's better to be lucky than good. 
Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I thought that I feel it was that right way every day. It's better to be better to be lucky than good. Yeah. Did I miss that? I mean, I totally agree. It is better to be lucky than good. <laughs> Whoever said it, we're in complete agreement. Yeah. This game is like is going. The one thing that I did want to talk about in the scene was Data. Like after Worf is being admittedly an asshole to Data, <laughs> Data like starts kind of othering Worf. Jack, still no help for the Klingon. <laughs> Worf looks at him like, "Really, dude? <laughs> What's that about? Why did Data do that?" <laughs> Every time Data gambles, I get the sense that he really enjoys it. Yeah. Like when he was at that fake casino in season two or three, like he, he loved, loved playing that. craps. Yeah. He loves being the dealer. That was he was there with Worf and Riker in the Royale. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he is he's really embracing sort of the the cooler. You know that, that term <laughs> for for like the, the blackjack dealer that comes and cools off a table? Yeah. He's like really uh he's really subtly condescending. Yeah. Maybe not even that subtly. Yeah, so so I guess the the doc gets called away and she runs off to check in with Jordy in Six Bay. Jordy has had a pretty scary fall. He uh I guess like passed out in the engine room and like nearly went over the edge down the down the warp shaft. Yeah, I mean we've seen this set a number of times and it's just floor after floor of glass uh, surrounding the warp core and there's a there's a pretty large gap and the railing's not that high and the gap is pretty wide between the railing and the warp core like there's, you, there, you could see that happening pretty easy there are plentiful cl- code violations going on in <laughs> the architecture of engineering but uh yeah and like some ensign like actually like had to grab him and keep him from slipping in he would have been like the emperor now when you're building a warp core <laughs> osha regulations indicate that your railing must be at least three feet high. We recommend using a tempered glass if you're, if you're using any kind of clear material for your flooring. Polycarbonate is even better because it doesn't shatter. Now you want to design your warp core ejection unit so that it works every time. <laughs> Functionality of the warp core ejector should be the primary concern in designing any engineering section. I find the Utopia Planitia brand especially good. <laughs> the the interaction that they have in Six Bay is is I think where the first deja vu happens. They're like, "Wait, have you had this kind of thing happen before?" And Jordy's like, nah, "I don't know." And and then they both start going like, "Man, like maybe, maybe there's something to this." But they think nothing of it. The doctor goes and uh has like a real chill like winds down in her in her apartment. She's got like a glass of sherry she's doing a little light trimming of uh, her her orchids she observes a sleeping dress formality much like deanna troy like <laughs> she ties a ribbon in her hair and right. puts on a nice dress yeah i feel like the doctor's wig may have jumped the shark at some point and we didn't <laughs> notice it yeah it's especially trussy isn't it it's 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 a real situation in this episode. There were some times when I was like looking at the at the way the bangs come down from the top of the head, and I was just like, "Holy mackerel! What the fuck is even going on here?" I mean, by saying that, I I hope 
the implication is that she looks great because she does. She just looks unnecessarily put together, I think. Right. Yeah, who sleeps like that? I don't know how you can. Well, she can't because she lies down on the bed and there's these whispering voices. And she, like, gets up, she knocks over her sherry, turns the light on. It's kind of the go-to freaky-deaky moment in in Star Trek, I feel like. is Breaking voices, glass? Voices in the bedroom. Yeah. Haven't they done this, like, ten times now? <laughs> yeah, it seems a little tropey right now. Are you a sherry guy? Mm, no, I've been uh, enjoying Calvados a little bit lately. But, uh, really? I've never, I've never found a sherry that I really took to. Yeah, I only use sherry for mixing. Yeah. And I, I'm re- also not really like a, an evening before bed slash digestif drinker either, though oh, many people swear by it. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, you know, depends on, depends on how you, how you, how you roll. My wife yeah. likes a digestif before dinner. Hmm. Which is like, I just look at her and I'm like, you're doing it backwards. You're not supposed to do the witch before dark, right? <laughs> Isn't that how the saying goes? Uh, something like that. <laughs> I think the next scene is like the morning McLaughlin group. Issue one. It's just, it's just like a routine meeting, and they're just going over some stuff about the area of space that they're exploring and um and the doctor's like hey guess what i heard voices in my room last night and i thought nothing of it but then a bunch of people also reported the same thing so that's weird i can think of no other meeting or group of people where you could say that and not be immediately put into a straitjacket you know (laughs) they really take her contribution for fact right well if she this, doesn't do the scan and see that 10 other people reported it, do you think she brings it up? I probably wouldn't. If she was like, uh, also, people are disappearing. They'd be like, <laughs> not again. Come on, Beverly. Enough. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> There's something wrong with you this time, Bev. It is most definitely not the universe. <laughs> that would be, I mean, like, she has other, like, I think it is, like, remarkable that more than one person... Uh, reported it, but they're like, well, there's nothing on the sensor logs, but uh, maybe we weren't censoring the right stuff. So yeah, we'll we'll, we'll go ahead and uh, and take a peek at this at this issue. And they're about to wind the meeting down when they get hauled up to the bridge, and uh, they come out, and there's a big, old, nasty-looking butthole. <laughs> Right there in space in front of them. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance. <laughs> Ned Ryerson! Yeah, and the sensors uh, seem to indicate that it is a space-time butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, a type I don't think we've seen on this show before. No. Did you notice that uh, Ensign Rowe got a uh, pretty slick hair upgrade? I don't know if I would call it an upgrade, Ben. You're, you're not I'm, into it. I'm it's not like a she fan. looks like she looks like a she looks like a totally contemporary anime character. It's pretty tight. The it's tight a bob. Too tight. I wonder if she went and got a haircut after the thing with Riker. 
as just oh. a way to deal. Like a like a, a cleansing, like making a clean break kind of kind of emotional act. Yeah, you know who Riker didn't talk to after making out with Soren was Roe. Not yeah. the same, huh? Hmm. Not the same courtesy extended. He didn't uh <laughs> he didn't go didn't go get permission. <laughs> Um, I wish that was an ongoing thing. They, they just never pick that up again. I feel like the, this is a, a show that can imply somebody somebody changed their hair for emotional reasons, but doesn't have to do it. A lot Are you of talking shows about our pod or, or Star Trek The Next Generation? Star Trek The Next certainly Generation. Do. We're yeah. definitely going to... We're never going to leave that hot potato <laughs> unpicked up. <laughs> <laughs> um a lot of shows that would like show a character go like cut their hair in an emotional fit right yeah fuck that (laughs) i fucking hate that trope (laughs) yeah pretty lame pretty flimsy i think they did that in that battlestar galactica reboot oh geez no way not in (laughs) that's not a perfect future not if you ask me (laughs) no deeply imperfect well this is where we get to see the kind of full scope of what caused the Enterprise to explode. Um, because we see a Soyuz-class starship come out of this space butthole, and they're like, they have like kind of a few moments to react. and 36 seconds. And uh, I think Riker suggests blowing the shuttle bay. Decompress main shuttle bay. The explosive reaction may blow us out of the way. And Data suggests doing the tractor beam. I suggest we use the tractor beam to alter the other ship's trajectory. They go with Data's solution. Make it so, Mr. Wolf. Uh, they try to push the, the starship away, and uh, it glances off the starboard nacelle, and uh, that is the thing that causes the warp system to go into total meltdown. No, 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 Vienna finger is almost made out of glass and so when it's compressed like the outer section seems more metal and the inner section seems more glass and there's like a real shattering mm-hmm. explosion explosion and uh the effect is amazing it's about as again like it's as good as it gets on this show and sadly I did some research on this episode Ben because I found it so significant call 911 911 like they they built a special model for just the nacelle because yeah. they knew they were going to have to punch in so close to it like it's super detailed and great it's and a, it pays off because it like it makes it feel really big and really like yeah really like momentous when it goes yeah and the ship that emerges from the butthole is actually the reliant model that's been kitbashed oh really they it is roll, rolled it in parts. Yeah. Tell the people did. what kit bashing is, because I don't think that that's a totally 
uh, widespread terminology. Uh, kit bashing is when a person who builds a model of something, you know, you'll you'll buy a model for a particular thing, but you want to turn it into something else by adding different parts to it or or removing parts from it. Um, so in this case, they took an existing model, that Reliant model, and they added uh, they added little bits and boops to it to think, to distinguish it from the original Reliant. I think in the in in the biz, those bits and boops are called greeblies. I did not know that. Yeah, I learned that in the uh, process of getting models made for my documentary that I'm working on. That's right. Yeah. Um, so not only are the enterprise model effects great, uh, so too are the unnamed at this point reliant model emerging from the butthole. Right. So this explosion takes place, and Sonny and Cher kick up their song, and we are back in Oakland. Okay, campers, rise and shine, and don't forget your booties, because it's cold out there! And this is a good time to to sort of describe how we're entering each of these versions. So this is a Jonathan Frakes-directed episode. And yeah, you can tell. With every... With every restart of the plot, we are getting different shot compositions of the same scene. So right. this poker scene is shot differently. Uh, I think he's now... moving the, the line, right? Like the 180 yeah. degree line. He like, I think he moves it 90 degrees each time. Yeah, and the establishing shot's always different. Um, that We've now seen two, uh, two bridge scenes where everything is blocked. Everything is blocked the same, but everything is shot differently. Right. And, I mean, we're going to get three more cracks at this before the end of the episode, and it's all done in this technique. I think it's really interesting that this is a Frakes episode, because Frakes episodes are typically where we notice interesting shot composition. And what you're Mm -hmm. given when you're a director, if you're him, is uh, sort of a top five. Like, you really don't get to do this on TV shows, is to... uh, is to come up with five different ways to do a scene and keep them all. Right. Yeah. Um, I did not spot the director credit when uh, I started watching this. And I about halfway through, I was like, I, I fucking bet this is a Frakes. And then there's a shot like later on where there's just a an unmistakable Frakes camera angle. It's the God shot, right? Yeah. yeah. When they're having a, a later McLaughlin group, the yeah. camera stays up high for like a big portion of it it's like classic freaks yeah he the freaks god shot is classic and he also does super long takes with a moving camera in a way that i don't feel like a lot of the other directors do mm-hmm. he's he's really i don't know if this is his second or his third time directing an episode but he's the look is really confident yeah yeah, he he should be called Jonathan Quaron. <laughs> um, so this this is uh, this is the poker scene where the deja vu really starts coming coming on thick, and uh, Worf even has like a fun Klingon phrase <laughs> for for deja vu. Is, uh, he calls it nip paw. Yeah. And I think that the the doctor is the one that starts calling out what the 
what the cards are going to be as they get flipped over. Deal, Data. But no one has bet. I forget the bet, just deal. Ten, seven, queen. Nine, jack, four. Deuce, six. This is highly improbable. This is one of those episodes where you get the chills a number of times, and this is one of those moments where the floor just sort of falls out of the room. Yeah. And something magical is happening, and it's freaking everyone out. Right. She goes and uh, checks in with Jordy, and they're both, like, really feeling like, yeah, like, we have had this conversation before, and they start doing... Uh, so they start like looking into his medical records and it's kind of a dead end, right? Like he doesn't have any record of having had this, but they both remember having talked about it. Do you ever get deja vu? Sure. Does it give you a good feeling or a bad feeling when you get it? It's very troubling, I think, because it, uh, you know, it's like forgetting an actor's name right at the beginning of a movie that you're going to be sitting through, and you're like, fuck, what is that fucker's name? It's like all you can think about for the rest of the film. Yeah, I hate that feeling. I mean, I hate that feeling you're describing. The reason I ask is because... I watched the movie Undercover Brother (laughs) in the theaters, and uh, this was when Dave Chappelle was not super-duper famous the way he is now. Uh Uh, But I'd seen his comedy specials, and I, I really liked him, and he has a small part in the film. And I was like, oh, what's that guy's name? I've seen him on Comedy Central a few times. Totally ruined the movie for me, Adam. Oh, no. Yeah. You got really preoccupied. Yeah. The reason I ask is because everyone treats the feeling pretty neutrally. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, they're not panicking about the sensation. I used to feel really bad when I got deja vu, too. And then a buddy of mine a long time ago said that... uh, it means that you're on the right track. And that always kind of gave me comfort about that feeling. I don't know why. Like, if you're feeling like you've been somewhere before, it must mean you're doing something right. Like, it's where you're supposed to be. Hmm. I like that. Somebody yeah. told me once that it's your brain moving too fast and processing something twice because reality hasn't caught up. And that made me feel great about myself. <laughs> yeah, super smart. Jordy and Beverly are sort of mutually experiencing this feeling in a more powerful way than they did in the last version. Right. I think they I think they have to leave it at that. The doctor has her little wind down and goes to her room and I think she gets like because she broke the glass of sherry last time, she gets like weirded out and puts it in a different place. I might be jumping ahead. No, I think this is not the one where she moves her sherry. But she's breaking her sherry consistently every time. (laughs) And this time she's like freaked out enough that she runs up to the ready room and wants to talk to Picard about what's going on. And Picard is in the action uniform sans jacket. He doesn't wear a sleeping jacket. I think it's interesting that this is taking place in the ready room and not his quarters. Right, like he's having like a late night hang in the office. Yeah, I wonder if that's because they redressed Picard's quarters as Beverly's and they couldn't couldn't flip the line for that. That's interesting. Yeah, they've got to have like 
two or three standard quarters that they just set up as. Yeah. But this is like a level of intimacy that we haven't seen in quite a while between Bev and Picard. Like, we know them to be close. They've had very close moments. But, like, they're sitting very close on the couch. And Picard gives her uh, Ad- Aunt Adele's sleeping remedy, which is, <laughs> which, as far as we know, contains absolutely no drugs. Right. Uh, he's, he has also been feeling deja vu he's like reading a book and he's kind of feeling like he's read this section before even though he knows he hasn't read the book before and when we get to the mclaughlin group one. the next morning it's like cutting in at the middle of them discussing these weird voices that crusher is hearing in her in her room and they come up with like a more complete plan on how to like look into this but just as they're formalizing the plan, they uh, they get word that there's a butthole outside. Now, don't you say you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. Well, Ned Ryerson. Bang! So they got to run out to the bridge. A butthole is knocking on the glass, <laughs> wanting to be let in. Hey, hey. Her, what's going on? <laughs> That's the butthole's voice. Yeah. <laughs> so we get a replay of the disaster, and the part that gets me every time is Troy going, we've got to get out of here. We have to get out of here now. Yeah. I get the chills every time she says that. And it's fun, because like, it goes from... like Picard's reaction to her the first time is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like He, he really looks at her like, I cannot believe that you just like voiced that opinion and why does she say it like is it we never get we never get any sort of storyline out of her for what she's experiencing throughout the episode so is she getting a read is her betazoid mind getting a read off of what's happening and that's telling her that they need to leave or is she somehow getting a read off of the butthole well, or is it just her personally being scared and wanting Picard to get them out of there? Let me let me try some headcanon on. Yeah. Tell me tell me if you think it fits. Okay. The what they eventually discover is that Jordy is picking up like temporal after images in his visor, hence headache. Mm-hmm. And the voices that Dr. Crusher is hearing is literally all of the voices on the ship and mm-hmm. it's like time shifted. So maybe Troy is getting like an emotional time shift that she's picking up on in this moment. Oh man, that makes perfect sense. That's great canon. That's pretty good head canon, right? God, it. We do this all the time. I wish they just forked one line into the episode <laughs> to give us one of those. Like, it just bulks up the story so much more with just a little bit of effort. Well, yeah, the uh It makes it no less scary not to know that because when she turns to him and says it, ugh. It feels bad. So they uh once again try they the suggestions are thrown out, decompress the shuttle bay or use the tractor beam. You know what I thought in this moment Adam is, why not both? Old El Paso, hard and soft tacos. Your fiesta. They could do both. Like, wouldn't that be like doubling down on two pretty effective sounding strategies? Another thought that I had 
was they are very specific about the time span needed to come up with a solution. It's 36 seconds. And that is not real time. No. Like, the point of impact is, I think, 15 or 16 seconds later. Why didn't they just say 16 seconds? Boy, I think it is pretty hard to know how something is going to cut. Yeah. And I also think that that's... I mean, there's some there's some elasticity to the perception of time. Yeah. And I think uh, it's fair that, I don't know, to me it's, it's I, I'm never bothered by that. And, uh, 15 seconds sounds like so much less time than 30, too. It, it sounds like not enough time to come up with a plan and implement it. So yeah, but it, TV like, time makes sense that it's 30 and real time it's 15. That That reads for me, I guess. Like the other, like the opposite example is like a show like Twenty Four that's all about how real time it is, and it's mm-hmm. so fucking stupid so much of the time. Yeah, the way timing works on that show. Yeah. Like, yeah. not to say it's not a fun show to watch or whatever, but it's like the time stuff is, like, without a doubt, the dumbest part of that program. And there's a lot of dumb parts to that program. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Except when Edgar dies, that was. Oh a- yeah. That was a emotional banger for me personally. We all remember where we were when Edri- Edgar died. <laughs> we get a different explosion this time. Uh, mm-hmm. We're we're further away from the ship, and we see it off in the distance uh, explode. Now, when they do when when you shoot a an explosion effect like this. Oftentimes, you will set up several camera positions and get it from a bunch of different angles because it's expensive to do. But to me, it didn't look like the same explosion because some of the parts didn't go in the same places. That's because it wasn't. They filmed three different model explosions for this scene. Wow. They built and destroyed three of them. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you're... When you're producing a season of television, I think this is one of the spikes in production cost. Like when yeah. you're a line producer, like <laughs> this is a heavy and you got to know that going in. They get a ton of value out of it, though, I think. Yeah. You need a great explosion there. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, uh, we're back in the poker scene. They do a great thing compositionally, which is they get super tight on uh, Riker and Beverly talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And Riker's got a little bit of lazy eye going. Like, Yeah, do you think he has like little Bell's palsy or something going? No, I don't think so. But like there's... It's a little bit pod people-like. Mm. Like, like something so heavy is happening to them. And so magical that it just sort of renders them emotionless. And that blank stare when they're staring at each other is just creepy as hell. Yeah. And and what it does is it removes any sense of comedy or ham and cheese to the scene in a really mm-hmm. effective way. I feel like you could fuck this up pretty easily <laughs> and read it as... 
you know, like you you insert some second season synth keyboard to it, and all of a sudden it's stupid. <laughs> but instead, it's like that discordant sound effect action. You get yeah. the the close up shots of all of them. It's it really works. Yeah, it's creepy. So uh, the doctor gets on gets on the phone and calls Nurse O'Gow, and she's like, "Let me guess, Jordy is down there." And Nurse O'Gow is like, "No, oh, yep." There he is. Just walked in. So uh so this is like like the doctor is now sufficiently creeped out to call Picard down to Six Bay and he comes down and she's like, Listen, there's there's this situation happening where Geordie Spicer is picking up temporal something somethings. Uh everybody on the ship is feeling deja vu, maybe you have too, and he's like, Oh fuck, I totally have. What's up? And they've found, like, a measurable scientific, you know, way of assessing what's going on, which is that they're, like, like Jordy's visor is picking up a real phenomenon. Yeah, the way it's described is, is sort of, it's sort of like uh, on old televisions when when you wouldn't get the signal for the channel right and you'd get, like, sort of double vision. right. He's seeing he's seeing like repeated imagery echo effects. I I think they call them. Mm-hmm. Or like when you're driving through the hills in between two big cities, and you like you've got like the hip hop station on, but you get like country, like yeah, like peppered in there every every like every turn. You get a little snippet of Garth Brooks, and you're like, no, I want to <laughs> hear my about my trap queen. I don't care about your uh, your pickup truck getting stolen. You get some scrambly stations. Yeah. So the this is like I think they're like onto the situation a lot earlier this time around and they they move up the time of their meeting. Right. Well like the doctor goes back and she like does not get into sleepy time mode. Yeah. In her quarters and when the voices start she's like ready for it and she whips out her uh her Marantz kit and starts rolling tape on it. <laughs> and uh she runs down to engineering and data and Jordy are there and she's like you guys got to hear this tape and it is it's like an audio zapruder film back and to the left <laughs> yeah it's and, a little bit like that scene in uh in um in the fugitive when they're like uh they're like what was that bell dinging in the background and they like narrow yeah. narrow down what phone booth he called from or in sneakers when they play back the audio from the trunk and they can tell from the spaces and the pavement what bridge they took. Yeah. Data does a great parlor trick here, which is they play back the tape and it is just, it's incomprehensible. It's just voice on top of voice on top of sound effect. And Data is able to... It's a little bit uh, like our show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just one host interrupting the other host and then a bunch of dick jokes. <laughs> And Data's able to, like, look to the sky and unscramble them, and he sort of describes, like, thousands of voices, and they're the ship's voices. And right. then we throw to commercial with all the goosebumps. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. You are all. We come back, and it's pretty evident that Data and Jordy worked through the night and mm-hmm. figured out what is going on. And they've got, uh, like, a PowerPoint up on on the screen in the McLaughlin group. Issue one. We think we're stuck in a specific fragment in time and that we've been repeating that same fragment 
over and over again. And it's showing the ship as a as a red dot, like traveling through time and then getting like ricocheted back. But they're like, how do we get out of this? How long have we been in it? And they're like, we have no idea. That's a terrifying thought. Yeah. That they could have been in there indefinitely. Right. They could have been in there, in there for days, hours, years. Yeah. So they come up with a plan. Like, if they're caught in this thing, they got to be able to talk to the next version of themselves. How do they do it? Well, they sort of talk to the viewer and describe their plan in such a way as like doing a message in a bottle type scenario. Mm-hmm. They need, they need to sneak a message back through data. Data is sort of the best conduit for message sending in this way. They're like, well, what do we tell ourselves? No one really knows except that it has to be short. It's got to be a single word. Well, and the other thing is like they don't know when the loop repeats, so they don't know what point in time, you know, like they don't they don't know what the the cause of all this is. So they don't have any idea what the message would be based on the fact that there's no clear beginning or end. Yeah, and, and they don't know when to send it either. So Data's got to be at a, at a state of readiness where he's always ready to send whatever message needs to be sent whenever they decide what that message is. Yeah. So we get a, we get a scalp flap scene next. Ben. <laughs> yeah. We, One uh, of the closest we, steps we've ever been on the inside of Data's dome. Yeah, always fun to, to get a little flap. They rig him up with a with a little uh, little cortical stimulator on his brains, and then they they fit him for sort of a big wristwatch, like a yeah. like a like a G Shock Casio <laughs> yeah. that he that he fits around his forearm with a yep. little keypad on it. One of those ones that they market to like mountain climbers. That's got like an altimeter and a <laughs> and like a compass built in. It's waterproof to uh, six feet. <laughs> It's always a disappointing amount of waterproofness to watches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like if you've got the, if you've got the, like, set of features that you're going to want for mountain climbing, it's not going to be as waterproof as a watch that you get for diving. Why don't they measure that in leagues either? Oh, yeah. People don't don't use leagues anymore, do they? It's a system of measures that's sadly been left by the wayside, along with the cubit, (laughs) the hand... (laughs) <laughs> the stone the stone i think they still use the stone in uh in the uk right yeah like yeah. when fighters weigh in they're like he's 24 stone yeah <laughs> when oh, i did my study abroad in ireland there was always like weight loss tv shows on where somebody would be like like i'll need to lose three stone before my wedding in it i find as i've grown older uh I've seen I've seen some stone accumulation. <laughs> I've seen some love stones, Ben. Oh yeah, I don't like it. Yeah, I would I, I would flatter myself that I have stones, but I'm really just a coward at heart. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so they fit him with the watch and stick him back on duty, and that's it's sort of uh, it's sort of left open ended. Like you're just gonna know what to do when the time comes, hopefully. Good luck. They got to run up to the bridge because 
word of a space butthole has been transmitted over the public address system on the entrepreneur. Don't say you don't remember me because I sure as heck fire remember you. It's me, Ned Ryerson. They get up there. They're doing their routine of not saving the ship, and they try the tractor beam. It doesn't work. They're like about to go critical, and Data turns and starts frantically tapping on the buttons on his watch. He just writes eight o o eight five. He shows it to Riker upside down, and Riker does the Riker. double double finger guns. Riker chuckles. The ship explodes. <laughs> All that effort for a boobs joke. <laughs> The number flips over on the radio clock. Sonny and Cher strike up their song. We're back in the in the poker game, and this time, Data is dealing out all threes. Three, all threes. We described the card scene that happened before as being like the air's out of the room, the floor's dropped out. We're getting super close-ups for creep. This ends up being like a David Blaine style <laughs> style trick here. They're really freaked out by this because they are positive they know what the next card is. I thought it was and, really amazing that they had Harrison Ford over in the corner in this in this version of the scene and he just told everybody to get the fuck out of his house at the end. Data's supposed to be dealing cards, but instead he's like ramming ice picks through his hands. <laughs> <laughs> Penn and Teller uh whisper to each other and then uh Penn tries to kind of obliquely describe how the trick works. Yeah. And Data just shakes his head no. <laughs> and the lady it, from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer gives gives him a trophy. <laughs> I like that show. That's a pretty fun show. Yeah. Big fan. So Data's dealing threes instead of the cards that everyone is guessing. Threes yeah. all around, and then everyone gets dealt a three of a kind after. Yeah. Who got the best three of a kind? I think it's Data's queens, right? Uh, Data gets queens. Yeah. Yeah. And they just sort of stare agape at this before Beverly goes back off to the six bay. Yeah. And uh, they, like, arrive at similar conclusions with uh, scanning Jordy's, Jordy's visor this time. And... Instead of calling Picard down to Six Bay, this time she marches right up to his office. And uh, there's a great scene here where, like, he's he's just sitting in, in the ready room, like, one foot up on the couch, looking through this book. And he, like, pages back and forth a couple times, and then there's just this look on his face, like, what the fuck is wrong with this book? <laughs> I love the idea that, like, he's at work, right? Like... Is this is this the equivalent of like walking into someone's cubicle and they're like uh, reading a sports website? <laughs> like, what's the, he doing? They've got the racing form and they're they're circling ponies that they're yeah. going to put money on. <laughs> yeah, like there's no book equivalent to uh, to alt tabbing your way to the work you're supposed to be doing in this instance. Like he's very transparently reading. Well, he is the boss. Yeah, that's true. He can do whatever he wants. They. Uh, they get up to the bridge, and I guess, like, they've worked out that the ship is in big trouble, and they've also got the 
the strange phenomenon that three keeps showing up. Any anything data touches turns to threes. Is <laughs> the man with the Midas 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 touch? <laughs> and they're like, maybe that means level three diagnostic, which is a nice idea. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, they also have some some tape that the doctor captured in our quarters, and uh, and they've got like like they've managed to isolate the parts that are germane to their discussion. And uh, I'm like, like this is like Adam Ragusea level audio shit where like they've, they've cut all 999 voices out of the tape and they just have Picard yelling. I'm not even sure the goose could do this. This is next level. I feel like editing. If you gave the goose the same kind of computer that they have on the Enterprise, he could do that shit. The yeah. goose can do anything. I will I will never think he can't. He's a miracle <laughs> worker. Yeah, he truly is. So this is like this is puzzling, but it's pretty inconclusive because there's nothing about the number three that provides any direct course of action for them to pursue. And they know they're fucked, but they don't really know. I don't think that they really know about the time loop here, right? They have different set of new information. Yeah. Yeah, they aren't as on the rails uh, as they have been in previous versions of this timeline. Yeah. So they head out to uh, get a load of the space butthole. Bill Connors! Ned! And um, I guess, like, Worf was in this McLaughlin group this time, so it's Ensign Rowe that calls him up. They get out there, and they're like, you know, all the same things happen. The helm is out. The the Soyuz-class ship is coming straight for them. And Riker suggests shuttle bay decompression. Data suggests the tractor beam. Make it so, Mr. Wolf. Engaging tractor beam. And <laughs> there's a great shot of Data, like, looking up at the rank insignia on Riker's neck. Like, it's a... A close-up to close-up rack. The tractor beam will not be successful. I'm decompressing the main shuttle. Bay. And he, like, taps out some commands on his thing. We cut to the exterior of the shuttle bay opening, and we see it, like, blow a ton of air out. We see a bunch of Previas parked inside of it. Yeah, it's like a Previa dealership. Yeah. We are clear of the distortion. This is the first and only time we see the ship's main shuttle bay in use. Yeah. That's I mean, the trivia for that shot. They never show this shot again, and they built a model specifically for it, like the roll-top desk doors, yeah. the shuttles inside. We never get a shot like this again. It's cool. It's an amazing number of one-time use uh, modeling for this episode. Right, because this is a this is a franchise that's not afraid to recycle shots in feature films. That's just it. <laughs> It's amazing to me that they were willing to do this, where they couldn't get value out of any of these shots at any other time. It's good stuff. They, yeah. uh, the shuttle, bra- shuttle bay decompresses. It pushes the ship out of the way. The other ship flies by, and the lights come back on, and they're like, hey, cool. <laughs> that worked. And um, <laughs> they get on FaceTime with the other ship, uh, after like resetting their clock, I guess they've been in the loop for like, like a couple of weeks. 
they do that thing where like if you fly a long distance and have to go into airplane mode and then as soon as you land you you undo airplane mode on your phone and then the time changes right yeah, they check finds... to see about their, their time change and it turns out they've been in this loop 17 days yeah which is crazy they get on facetime and it is on the other uh, side of the facetime it's frazier in a kirk movie costume hey baby i hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs God, i love those costumes yeah they're so good they are beautiful. That's the best uniform, right? It's obviously the best uniform. It looks great when it's on tight. It looks great when, when it's sort of like undone and flapped over. The only thing that it's I always wonder... It's got that wonder, turtleneck. Yeah. The one thing I wonder about that uniform is the they've got the black piping on the flap, right? Yeah. But then it just stops when it gets to the neck. Why doesn't it go all the way around the neck? I don't know. It looks seems like so a weird... hot, though. Like yeah. I, I cannot imagine wearing that all day. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> to be honest, Fraser looks pretty cheesed that he's uh, that he's got to wear this thing, and uh, he's got kind of like a wharf lean the way he sits in his captain's chair. Yeah. And Picard is like, "Do you know what time it is?" <laughs> Fraser introduces himself as Captain Bateson and he's like, "Of course I know what time it is." And then Picard goes, "Brother, I'm about to blow your mind." And uh <laughs> And he's like, he's like, "Lilith he's like, has three yeah, fingers." boy. <laughs> Flavor Flav comes out with his uh with his big medallion and he says, "I wear the clock so you can know the time." <laughs> oh man. Isn't it crazy that Lilith and Fraser exist in this universe? <laughs> it's pretty wild, Adam. And that Riker fucked one of them? Does that mean that the Fraser program is canonical Trek? I think that's what it means. I think that's all we can all we can assume. This is this is such a fun moment that we only get a glimpse of before it happens, but I feel like like you could write an entire series of like novelizations of what goes on with the crew of the Bozeman now that yep. they're stuck like 80 years into their own future. Yeah. It, it has got to be amazing. That that story is so rich too. Like it does he look up his family? Does he get to still be a captain? Do they give him another commission? Right, cuz he probably doesn't know f- his ass from his elbow. On a what, galaxy-class starship, right? What do they do with this ship? Like, is it a museum? I don't know, man. Or does it go to that uh, that scrapyard that that annoying guy lived at? Well, that's another thing we talked about. Is like, I want a, I want a series that just takes place in the scrapyard. Totally. Uh, did you notice who was who was standing next to Bateson on the bridge? Uh. She looked a little familiar to me, but I did not, I did not uh, put it together. Well, she's not supposed to be familiar, but she is supposed to evoke someone. They tried to cast Kirstie Alley to reprise her role as Savick for this Dang. scene. And she did not sign on the line that was dotted. And so I don't know if she is explicitly supposed to be a recast Savick, but I know that she sort of has Savick vibes. Savick's allowed to look like a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> God, you're not kidding. <laughs> so, 
So yeah, that would have been fun if they had gotten her too. But man, that those are two big canonical stars on one bridge. You don't. Yeah. I think we're lucky to get Fraser. So that's the uh, that's the end of the episode. They have this uh, big juicy and ambiguous end to it. Great episode. Did you like this episode? Loved it. It might be recency bias, but I don't know if I can't say this isn't my favorite episode. Whoa. So far, let's say. Okay. It's fucking great. It's definitely on my mountain. It's on your it's on your mountain. I love it. It is mountain worthy for sure. We gotta really come up with a name for that mountain. Would you give this a ranking? Is this also on your mountain or is it just a great episode? I could see it being a top fiver. At some point, I hope a viewer out there is is keeping track of our mountain, because I Ooh. surely am not. <laughs> yeah, there's only so much we can keep track of. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, man, uh, they don't make them like this anymore. They surely do not, Adam. Uh, it's, a, it's a great one. And, uh, you know, I think that, like, this may be, like, there's, I know that a, a good majority of our viewers are, familiar with this the television series mm-hmm. i would say that if you don't actually watch the show this would be a pretty fun one to just give a watch yeah yeah i agree like i La- think it i think it'll stand up on its own two feet and it's also just like a real fun hour of television yeah i agree i mean a lot of people flip shit to brandon braga you know who who has and will go on to uh, to write more and more episodes of this show and other Star Trek series. It's hard to argue that this isn't the moment where the wave broke for him and the high water mark was achieved. Mm. This one's tough to beat. Tough to beat. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I also would say, like, um, I kind of get the sense, and I'm, I may be totally wrong on this, like, I kind of... Uh, make some of this stuff up as I go along, but I kind of get the sense that Brandon Braga is responsible for a lot of the time travel shit that happens yeah. uh, from this point forward, which is my least favorite thing in Star Trek. Yeah. And I think that this is an example of time travel done really well. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, do we have any messages coming in from space and time, Ben? I believe we do, Adam. I think we should probably check in on that. All right. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is a commercial message. And uh, here it goes. Hello, fair viewers. I hope none of you are the age of young Wesley Crusher. But I imagine some of you might be parents, aunts, uncles, or friends of teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) If so, I'd love it if you'd check out my young adult novel, The Forest Spell, with 95% fewer dick jokes and 80% more gallivanting in the woods. The Forest Spell is age-appropriate humor and adventure that's sure to delight young audiences until they reach the age of consent for this fine pod. Ben and Adam, thanks for the lols. Uh, search for The Forest Spell on Amazon. Man, I love that. I love that too. It seems like when we were growing up, YA wasn't a genre available to us. It seems like there's a lot 
a lot better things for people to read at that age than there was when we were growing up. I always, yeah. like, I think I skipped from Hardy Boys, like, straight into The Firm or whatever, you know? Like, there was no, there was no in-between. Adam, I thought for I, I thought for a moment you were going to say you skipped from Hardy Boys into the Fermata. Are you familiar <laughs> with that book? No, I'm not. Uh, it's a book by. Would that liter- have made a better joke? Literary novel novelist Nicholson Baker about a guy who can snap his fingers and stop time, and he uses this awesome power to take women's clothes off <laughs> and write erotic stories for them, many of which are uh, captioned at length in the novel. <laughs> Can he see everything? It would have blown me away if you had uh, jumped from the Hardy Boys to the Fermata. Had I known that existed, that is what I would have wanted to read. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think so. But th- I think much much more appropriate would have been the Forest Spell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I'm disappointed about its relative lack of dick jokes, but it's age appropriate, so I understand. I love that our viewers are doing productive things with their time i like that they see our viewers as people who would appreciate their hard work i i'm totally into the idea of of cross-pollinization yeah and i hope this uh i hope this kind of thing gets rewarded yeah yeah go check it out it's the forest spell and it's on amazon.com i've heard of that website famous website it's one of the most famous websites. Ben, we have another message, this time of a personal variety. Uh, it is from your husband, Matt, in West Virginia, which you know because you live in the same house. <laughs> ben, this message is coming from inside the house. <laughs> and it is for Emma. It goes like this. Dear Emma, you're a great doctor and an even greater wife. A fact that I'm sharing with hundreds of other people who listen to that Star Trek podcast I sometimes play for you. Thank you for gamely sitting through Star Trek episodes with me, and sorry I had to work late on Valentine's Day. This is kind of a card, it says parenthetically. Love your husband. And again, parenthetically, no escape! (laughs) Oh, veiled threat at the end. Whoa. I did not get my wife a Valentine's Day card, so it seems as though Matt uh, made the same mistake I did. Whoops. Yeah, hopefully this softens the blow for Emma. Uh, I sure hope so. Emma sounds sounds like a good sport. Good enough sport to go through a couple of listens of our show anyway. Matt, for the record, you shared this with thousands of other people, not hundreds. Thanks, Matt. For yeah. for a tastefully done recovery from a Valentine's mistake. Uh, hopefully this works. Emma sounds like a great young lady, and uh, hopefully hopefully this brings you closer than ever. Closer than our show could ever do for you. Um, if you have made a terrible mistake in your relationship and you need Ben and I to correct that wrong... Or you if can, you just have a cool book that you want to get the word out about. Yeah. If you have either of those scenarios and no other kind, uh, you can go go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and fill out the appropriate form. Uh, Personal messages are are, uh, meet even $100 and commercial messages are $200 and they help the ongoing production of our show. Thanks, guys. Sure do, Adam. Darmok, Angelad, and Tanagra.
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben? What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda, Ben? Drunk Shimoda! I found one. (laughs) I have kind of a split decision here. I I wrote down two, and I 
I'm having a tough time picking. Maybe you should go first because maybe you picked one of these and I can pick the other. Does okay. that make sense? You do can, you have a Shimoda? I do. I do this time, Ben. Uh, it's another prop Shimoda. <laughs> and much like the hotel television remote of the last episode or a couple episodes ago, <laughs> there is a chair in the background of engineering that looks like it's a metal, like a metal banana with a back on it. I don't know how this seat works. It's like a bike seat, <laughs> but it's made out of aluminum. Eey. It is a most uncomfortable chair. I don't think I've ever seen anyone sit in it. Like where there are people sitting in Shimoda Corner in chairs, they look like the padded desk chair that you see in a lot of places. Yeah. But this chair is, is, is terrible. I don't know why good. it's there. Maybe yeah. that's why Jordy hurt himself. Sitting in a bad chair. He fell out of the chair and he almost took a trip down to the bottom of the warp core. Oh, that chair's no good. Right? What the hell is that? That thing looks like halfway between a chair and like a mangled crutch. It looks like a crutch, doesn't it? You can't sit on crutches. No. Yeah. They're not designed for that. Yeah, that's my Shimoda. Well, Adam, uh, you did not select the Shimoda that I... Uh, either of the Shimoda that I selected. So I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and award double Shimodas. Let's do it. So uh, my first one is uh, going to Picard because every time, and I thought that there was excellent shot continuity on this because we see it a bunch of times. Every mm-hmm. time Crusher goes to the ready room and uh, checks in on the captain on the late night, uh, over in front of his like book that he keeps under glass, which I think is his Shakespeare book, mm-hmm. there are th- two empties and a full w- what looks like whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> Picard is Picard is getting hammered. You know it's not tea or old gray hot because it doesn't come in the glass with the black sort of rim handle. Yeah, he doesn't have it. a handle on it. It's definitely neat whiskey. Yeah. Unmistakable. And he kind of allows them to gather in a in a way that I feel like I, I totally get. I'm yeah, leaving this, glasses around my place all the time. This is like, you know, my wife is out with her friends for the evening, so I'm going to order a pizza, get a six-pack, and I'm going to watch a film adaptation of a John Clancy novel. <laughs> yeah. He, he's just got a sink full of dishes in his ready room. Yeah. She comes home. There's just empties all over the fucking place. What a slob. <laughs> uh, my second Shimoda is Dr. Crusher. Now, we've made a lot of comments about the barbicide that she keeps in Six Bay. Yeah. Did not know that she also kept a bowl full of barbicide in her quarters next <laughs> to her bed. <laughs> what is that? Like, it, it's like. She sets a book on it. It's like, what the fuck is that doing there? It's like the set decorator was like, a terrarium would be really cool to have by the bed. And then, like, well, we don't have any sand or shells, so I guess we're going Windex. (laughs) She just wants to have that nice chlorine smell waft over her as she sleeps. Yeah, like you'd think the ammonia would would wake you up and not put you down. But maybe that's why she's slugging back all that sherry. (laughs) 
She needs it to she needs it to wind down at the end of the day. Of all the doctors we've seen on the show, I would have expected country doctor Catherine Pulaski to be the drink before bed type, but nope, it's Beverly Crusher. Yeah. Well, those are great Shimodos, Ben. I'm glad you offered them both. Even though it skews our our ongoing chart. <laughs> I don't think it skews the chart. Yeah, well, that's that's some that's for someone else to do the math on. I've also definitely, I feel like, not had a Shimoda a couple of times, right? Yeah, you're uh, you're backfilling Shimodas, aren't you? Why does a Bozeman have that huge gun on it? God, I don't know. Is that it's... one of the things that the Reliant doesn't have, or did the Reliant, the Reliant have the gun? I don't think the Reliant rolled in look like an like an M1 Abrams tank. It's really cool to see, like, it's most definitely a Honda Del Sol type starship, but, like, the Pontiac Fiero to the modern <laughs> Del Sol. Like, it's really angular and, and fun. Yeah. This is, it, like, in, in the way that the Galaxy class is based on the Constitution class, the Del Sol class is definitely based on the Soyuz class. It's got that Weyland yutani uh, knife block sensibility that the Nostromo had like yeah. it's got it's got pointy bits which makes it it makes it somehow like more contemporary to see that kind of that kind of slop the smooth line seems like the ship of the future yeah I dug it yeah you only get you get like two seconds at the end of them flying side by side mm-hmm. would have been nice to get a little bit more of that like a, a beauty shot outro yeah, they just it's just weird because the the camera focuses on that fucking gun for like a yeah. solid 3-4 seconds. It's like were they going into battle? What's going on? Yeah, the the I guess the time frame, the the Bozeman time frame is pre it's pre Wrath of Khan. Right. That's another thing about it. So I guess Oh yeah, I guess they're not on great terms with the with the Klingons in that era. Yeah, yeah, so they need that that up-armored ship. Interesting. They need an up-armored ship and a captain with a slouch. <laughs> and they've got both. Yeah. Frazier doesn't take guff from any Klingons. <laughs> what do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season five, episode 19. The first duty. Caught between loyalty to his friends and the need to tell the truth. Wesley becomes involved in a cover-up when his Starfleet Academy squadron suffers a deadly collision. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I do remember this episode. It's fun how they how they bring back Will Wheaton uh, every six or eight episodes for a for a guest star role. Yeah. They don't do that for anyone else. Well, they did it for Ram Yarlin. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I only guess... that only those couple of times. It doesn't and I think that that's over, right? I think the way I meant that though was like a a crewman. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's it's nice it, it's it's nice to have a character that can check in and have a lot of backstory. And I feel like they always do a nice job of letting him have developed as a character mm-hmm. in the meantime. Yeah, and he's also 
Will Wheaton's also so much of a better actor than he was in the first couple seasons that it's almost like a redemption story as acting goes for him. Like you don't is really it, get is it second that he's chances. a better actor, or is it that the show is now better written and it seems better by comparison? I think that's true as much, if not more, than what I said. Well, uh, we don't have any vetoes, so whether or not you like, we are watching it. All right. Fine. <laughs> well, whether you like it or not, people are talking about our show, Ben. They use the hashtag GreatestGen on Twitter. They talk to you at Cut for Time. Me at Benjamin R, A-H-R. It's also great Facebook and Reddit groups. Lots of fun artwork being created. Somebody made a great uh, IKEA instruction manual <laughs> for the Flatpak shuttle yeah. on Reddit that I really appreciated. It's got all the umlauts. Uh-huh. Yeah, really great. I mean, <laughs> I am no less surprised and amazed and amused when people take the time to make stuff like that based on the show. Super great. Nice, nice work. We should thank the great Dark Materia for our theme music and the perhaps even greater Adam Ragusea for all the other music on the show. Thanks, gents. We should thank the good folks at MaximumFun.org who provide a ton of support and uh, help us make this thing. They have uh, they've not yet decided that this has been a huge mistake. <laughs> and uh, the Max Fun Drive is coming up, so look forward to it, folks. Yeah. We got some special uh, prizes in store for people who contribute during the drive. Uh, and so does the network. So yeah. uh, be on the lookout for that. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. An episode of The Greatest Generation that should have been built out of the stuff that they build the black box out of. And then it wouldn't have had that accident in the first place. To Riker, the Jaeger loop is a sexual position. (laughs) MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.